Welcome back to Becoming Next on Scene, everybody. It is your host, Jackie Zook. It is another awesome day for another awesome episode of How to Become Next on Scene in your field of business or in your passion. Before I bring on my awesome guest today, I always like to start with a marketing tip to get your week started and a self-care tip of something you can incorporate, which this podcast is all about self-care. I'm loving my guests lately, all about self-care. So we'll talk more about that shortly, but I'll also share some thoughts of what I've been doing this week. So marketing tip of the day. Um, This has come up multiple times for me, so I guess it's meant for me to share with you, but LinkedIn marketing is so, so important. If you are not showing up regularly on LinkedIn, you are missing out on a huge arena of clientele that you could potentially be working with or connecting with, whether it's new relationships, new professional connections. LinkedIn is so much more than people think. I've created friendships from LinkedIn. I've created clients from LinkedIn. There's so much value there. So don't overthink that you shouldn't be showing up there. Please, please do that and you'll thank me later. That's my marketing tip of the day. My self-care tip of the day is the importance of working out a couple times a week. Um, I really have been prioritizing working out three to four times a week, even being pregnant. It's made such a difference in my mindset and my lifestyle, even if it's for like 15, 20 minutes. Like YouTube has really short videos you can do for a really short period of time just to keep you know, your body moving because we sit, I mean, for somebody like me who sits on a computer all day, like it's so game changing. So really, really think about if you're not doing physical activity to really do it. And I think you'll be happy and in a better mindset when you do. So now I'm really excited to share my amazing guest with you today, Michelle Poverman. She is so cool. She's a psychotherapist. She is a energy healer and she combines both for incorporating to bring you to a higher vibration, which we talk all about on the show. She's amazing, based in Boston, does virtual courses as well. She is booked through November, which is Miss Popularity over there. She's amazing. You'll understand why when you listen to the show. But I highly recommend you check her out, follow her on social media. We nominate her as a rising entrepreneur, so definitely get to know her. She is amazing. Stay tuned for Michelle. The ups, the downs, and all the in-between. What it takes to become next on scene. Are you next? Follow us at Next On Scene. Welcome back to Becoming Next on Scene. I am so excited to be here with the amazing Michelle Poverman, who is an awesome psychotherapist, intuitive coach, and energy healer, and she is also the founder of Sage and Stone Energy Therapy. Am I right? Hi, Michelle. How are you today? Good. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to have you here. And I, even before we started recording, I talked about how amazing it is that you're a psychotherapist and energy healer. And I'm so excited you're here to talk about that because I feel like a lot of people don't have those qualities or if they do, they're not openly talking about it. So I definitely came out of the closet, right? (laughs) I definitely came out of the closet at one point in my life and it healed me to do so. And I think there's so many of us out there that are doing this work and a lot of them are doing it very quietly or they're tiptoeing and not sure how to like get out. So I love it. I think that's really like, so where your business in the psychotherapy world should be going for people, right? Because it's so... Well, because, you know, I'll just start right off and just say, you know, that our thoughts are language of the mind, our emotions are language of the body. And so many of us are sick. So many people come to see me because they don't feel well, chronically don't feel well. And doctors aren't being able to help because it's just this 
underlying condition they don't know. There are these mystery things. And what I find a lot is just that it's really the emotions of the body. So when you're just doing therapy, it's wonderful. Everybody needs to have therapy. It's 50% of the work. And so I get to do both, which is like my, you know, passion and bread and butter. But the big part of it is that you need a therapy to talk because that's the language of the mind. And to heal the mind, we need to talk things out. But to heal the body, which is holding all the emotions that are making you sick, we have to do other things. So, and we can talk sir, about that, but there are all these other holistic ways of getting in there and doing that work. And that's why it's in such a great alignment with what I do as a therapist, but it does feel like so woo-woo, you know, like, but it's grounding itself a lot more in science these days. So it's getting away from the whole woo-woo thing, you know, or maybe I should put one deeper in and I, <laughs> I feel that way, but no, it's so, I like to talk about this with you. I feel like for hours, I'm so yeah. fascinated by this. So tell us like how you even became a therapist. Like how did this all come about? So, I mean, I was always destined to be a therapist, right? So in eighth grade, I think I got, um, my superlative was to be a counselor in a crisis center, like eighth grade. So I always knew, right? And that was always in alignment with me. And I went ahead and went to school and I figured that out. And I went to grad school and got my master's. And, you know, I got pretty into the rigidity of it pretty quickly. Being a therapist and being licensed requires a lot of rules and they're old and a lot of them are pretty antiquated. And that's why it gets a little weird for some of us to dabble outside because we're breaking some of those boundaries. But the work is rich and it's amazing. But how I got here in terms of doing, which I think you're really asking is how did I get into this energy world as a therapist, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, um, it really started with getting really sick. So I was out for a run one day. I had been sick for months. I've been sick for years, but I didn't really know it because I'm a I'm a type of person that has to push myself. And I'm sure some of you relate to that where you don't feel well, keep, keep going, just keep pushing. Right. Like it's nothing like it's nothing. That's why we're all burnt out. Right. Mm -hmm. We're all, so many of us are strivers, you know, especially if you're at all an entrepreneur or if you're kind of all sort of in the machine. So anywho, um, I'd been sick for a while and then, um, I was out for a run one day and this is after I'd been tasting metal for like two weeks and I went for a run and all of a sudden my right leg gave out. I had like a mile uphill left and I dragged it behind me for like a mile crying. I mean, I had no feeling in my leg. It was so heavy and numb. And I got back up to my house and I was like, I have MS. What's wrong with me? And I got to the doctor and they're like, yeah, based on my whole history, based on my story, they were like, I think you have Lyme disease. So I went forward and did a bunch of testing and did a bunch of other stuff. And it just brought me into the whole Lyme world and, and just really being sick. And that in itself is a mind screw, you know, just getting a diagnosis. Totally. Suddenly everything feel like you're so, so wounded, so sick. So it was a real journey on so many levels. You know, when I'm working with people who are sick, a lot of the work becomes how does the illness serve you? Mm -hmm. And the illness was serving me because guess what? I wasn't going to slow down. I didn't know what I needed. You know, I didn't know how to take care of myself. And it was the only way that this young woman here who cannot receive anything, nobody can help me. I got it. I got it. I got it. Don't hold the door for me. I got it. Right. I wasn't able to even receive help until I got sick. You know, it, it really aided me in learning what it's like to be vulnerable. 
And in that process of being sick, I had someone say, good friend of mine was like, you know, you're really into the this stuff. You need to go see this psychic. And so I did. And she was teaching Reiki that night. And uh, she's like, you're here because you're supposed to take my class tonight. I'm like, dude, I fall asleep in the parking lot of Stop and Shop. Like, I can't even get out of the car. She's like, you need to come. So I went and did the Reiki class. And I'm not kidding. Like, I would, if I wanted to go shopping, I would fall, take a nap in the car for like an hour before I walked in because walking was so tiring. But when I went into Reiki class, I left like I was on cloud nine. I was like, I have never... I don't even think before illness, I felt this good. Now I, I felt, you know, crappy the next day. I almost swore there, but um, <laughs> I'm going to really try to keep it clean. But I, you know, I went back and then I felt better again. And I was like, huh, there's something to this. And it's not a quick journey. It was a long one, but it was exactly what was supposed to happen so that I could learn there's such a better way to help out in the world. There's a better way for me to heal myself in this world. And so that's what brought me to it. And now I could never just go back to therapy again. I do do, I have some people that just come for therapy, but we end up doing all sorts of deep spiritual work. You know, it's just part of the game now for me. So, you know, it was really part of just getting better. So interesting. Oh my God. So you did, you did end up having Lyme disease. Is that what happened? Yeah. A bunch of stuff I didn't know about. I actually had five cracked teeth. So I didn't even know it. Like it was like all, it was my whole body was falling apart. I wasn't absorbing nutrients. And I mean, a whole slew of other issues, but you know, I'm, I'm doing great. For the totally. Moment. So you're based um, in mass. Do you work with clients kind of everywhere? Is it virtual? Is it just in person? Like, how does that work? Exactly. So I, I work, so I'm the owner of Sage and Stone and I'm in Hoppington. I have a uh, one-on-one based business. I'm doing therapy and healing hour and a half sessions with all my clients and I'm pretty full. Like I'm, I'm pretty booked out right now into November, but I am starting to do online courses to try to be able to reach those people that can't get in. It's really hard doing this one-on-one work because you can't, you can't, you can only help so many people and you gotta, and I have to have good boundaries, right? Like I have to take really good care of myself and I don't always. So I have to really keep tight on what I can do and what I can't do. Cause I learned that. And another, you know, segue here is like, that is the basis. I see a lot of people and I've been doing this for years. And I will tell you the one thing that every single person has to work on are boundaries. Yeah. I was just going to talk about, I was like, let's deep dive into this more because so I, definitely- if you're not dealing with your boundaries and it's, it's like impossible. I mean, you don't even, to really even have success in your business, to have health, to have deep, intimate relationships, like we're all the things we're here to kind of grow and strive into. It's really difficult to do them and have them be authentic if we don't have good boundaries. So true. You know, and it's way deeper than just being able to say no, right? It's like everybody, we think of boundaries just like, yeah, okay, we're just, I'm going to learn how to say no. That's, that's going to be my boundaries, but it's way deeper than that, you know? So I kind of, one of the way things that I teach is, is looking at boundaries, like kind of figuring out first what they kind of are for you. So for one, like, are you, do you have it like kind of unstable boundaries? And this goes into, I tend to serve and attract a lot of very empathic people. 
and they tend to fall into the unstable category. Okay. Because they overgive, they overdo everything. They they absorb everything. So when I say boundaries, it's not even just like what comes out of my mouth. It's my internal dialogue. It's, it's my energy. And for empaths, empathic people, their energy field is a little different. And so it's almost porous. And so they absorb so much. It's like why they can walk in a room, two people are arguing, but they got a big smile on their face, but they're like, Mm-mm, something ain't right here. I can feel the anger because they just tap into that. They have that sixth sense. They're very intuitive, right? So for them, I, they tend to fall into the the category of having very unstable boundaries. And so that makes them spongy, makes them absorb everything. It makes them overly give. And first and foremost, this is the big one for everybody. It's this over-responsibility, not just people-pleasing, but this over-responsibility they have for for everybody outside of them Mm -hmm. to be comfortable. And it's like, and so they think they're here being a good person. Their job is to be nice. Don't upset anybody. They think they're being a good person as to why they're constantly overhelping or feeling over-responsible and quickly fixing everything or, but it's not about other people. And the work becomes like, no, 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 girl. We just first need to get to the point that you're really just taking care of your anxiety, right? You're just, you're, you think you're out there being a good person. Like speaking to the choir, I'm like, I really me too. You know, I got to do this work too. And so, you know, when you're empathic, you just, you think you're just like, Oh, you know, I'm all angels, all wings, no thorns. And you're out there doing this great work. And I'm like, well, let's really look at this. Is this really about you just being a good person? Cause a lot of times that's just the ego, right? The ego is out there, but the other part of the ego is, is I need to feel better. Like, what do we do? This fight or flight, like this is happening. We need to feel better. This is unsafe. I'm uncomfortable. And so then we have to go out there outside of our boundary and fix things. And so I kind of work, I mean, daily, I work with people to try to learn about what, where this comes from, right? And it comes from a core wound of not being worthy, not being good enough. You've got to figure out what your core wound is. You got to figure out what is your button that the world gets to push. And then you got to heal that. And then you'll notice as you do the boundary work, your whole life starts to change. How you show up in relationships, what you need from other people, what you don't, you thought you did, but you don't. To stop excessively going outside yourself to know if you're okay all the time, even down to what I'm going to wear. What are you wearing? What color shoes are you wearing? Like, but but my hair is going to be too big if your hair's down. Like, you know what I mean? That anxiety is cultural too, right? So true. Yeah. And then the other side, the flip side of it is this like rigid. And some of you out there that are listening are going to going to tap into this because, or you'll know it, but that person who has that rigid boundaries, you know, you have that boss and you want to ask him a question and you just can feel he's, he's already saying no before he even really knows what the question is. Do you know what I mean? Like you're ramping up your no and you probably tell the world, like I got great boundaries. I tell people to F off all day. I tell people no all day long. They're very black and white. They don't have a lot of flexibility. They're not good at just openly holding space for your question, your need, your desire, because it scares them because they don't know how to be vulnerable. And so they get really rigid to protect themselves and they say no all the time. 
you know, I used to do a little bit of work with this with people who were kind of in leadership positions because, you know, this comes up a lot. Like, how do you just allow, how do you get comfortable with somebody asking something of you that you, that you can comfortably say no, and here's a solution versus feeling the defensiveness. Totally. So, yeah. So I can see that a lot in leadership roles for sure. I'm assuming there's a lot more pressure in those. Right. But I mean, it can even just be in your parenting. It can be in like your friendships or the way like, you know, Sally likes to ask things of me and I'm going to see her today. So I just got to be ready. It's like just, it's just an indication. They, you think you have great boundaries if you say no really easily, but it's just an indication that rigidity is just an indication that you, you don't, you're just, right. you, the way that you protect yourself is through being inflexible, Right. And so it's just really still working that core wound. What's behind that and softening it and being able to be vulnerable and be like, oh, this is really sucks, but I have to say no. And just being able to stick with yourself without any defenses, without any rigidity. Like feeling bad about it. 100%. Right. No guilt. No guilt. Right. Yeah. The guilt right. thing is definitely a real thing. Like, right. Right. Can really, can relate. I think women in general, like deal with a lot of that. I mean, I don't know if you agree with that, but I think women are totally very empathic and not that many men are not because I know a lot of men that are, but for some reason I've seen it more in women. Absolutely. Well, I think, I mean, 99% of my practice is women at this point. I mean, sometimes, excuse me, I get men, but it's definitely, you know, I think it's true. I think there's something in the emotional side of it for women. We're just a little more vulnerable, you know, we just have more of that. And if you think about certainly, I mean, we could get into, but just culturally how we're raised kind of sets us up and women are kind of, we take our strengths, our strengths of vulnerability, our strengths of caring and nurturing and connecting, you know, boys are active and like, they're all programmed to be like, raw, right? Like, Fight it out and be done. Right. Like, <laughs> even at a young age, you're like, let's connect, let's have eye contact, let's go totally. here, let's touch. And so, right. So even like culturally, we we are so different. And then we get fed, like you need to be nice to be loved. You need to totally, right. And then the achievement stuff comes up. Like, how are you going to prove your worth, especially next to these boys? Like, what are you going to do? Right. And so the achievement stuff starts coming up. And then, and I also look at it in terms of energy fields, because that's me, right? So it changes the vibration of a person. So I know it sounds kind of weird to some of you listening, but we all have a vibration level. So this is what energy healing, if you ever wondered like, what is that Reiki thing? Or what is that energy healing thing all about? Is literally the person is going in and bringing in beautiful, loving energy. And that's wonderful. But one of the standpoints of it is that they're coming in and raising the vibration of your body. Now we have tools to be able to actually track and measure the vibration of say, you know, Jackie, your, your body. And then everything in your body has a vibration. So your liver, your gallbladder, everything is your heart. Everything has a vibration. And we know when people get cancer and they're sick, the vibration gets lower. Mm -hmm. So that being said, you know, part of this stuff that affects your vibration, as I said before, emotions are the language of the body. The emotions get into the body and you've got grief. You've lost someone. You're going through trauma and no one gets out of this life without trauma. I mean, this is all about its duality. It's about being in pain as much as it is being happy. And so we're all going to have all of it. And so we go through it. It changes the vibrations and we need to learn and heal. And that's our purpose here is to heal. 
And so one of the things that healers do though, when you coach a healer is to help raise the vibration. And that's why people leave and they're like, my God, Michelle, what'd you do to me? I feel amazing. Like I was like ready to like, like curl into a rock. And now I feel like awake and alive. Like you just put your hands on me. I'm like, exactly. It's just a vibration change. It's so crazy, but everything vibrates, even rocks, nature, every single thing in this earth has a vibration. Everything in space has a vibration. So So we're all made of the same stuff. So great. It's just so great. It's so crazy to think about. It's so fascinating. It really is. So tell me like, so if I were a client, potential client coming in, like, how do you work with people? Because if you incorporate both, like, how does that work? I'm so fascinated. So I just have people come in when I'm doing in-person stuff. I have people come in and I just meet with them one-on-one. And typically majority people come in for the hour and a half session that I have. And the first hour is us diving into like, what is happening in your life so that I can understand what emotions are getting in there, what's happening in the body, but also just understanding you and understanding like what you're going through. What are your boundaries? What are, what are the things that you've got set up? What are your core wounds that are feeding everything? Cause it all comes through our storytelling, like and start telling me all about your story and all the things you've been through and what you're going through now. And we can kind of hear a therapist can hear the underlying wounds being triggered, the underlying issues that need to be identified or you'll get nowhere just spin up in your head. Right. So that's part of the work. And then we do that work, but then all the juices are flowing because we've had this deep conversation and then we get you on the table and then we do a full healing and I do a few different modalities. So I do Reiki. This isn't going to mean much to everybody, but I do Reiki. I do something called full spectrum healing, which is working with light. I do something called emotion code, which is crazy, amazing, unbelievable working with a magnet and something called M. Those are kind of like my big hitters. And so I do a smorgasbord of whatever feels like needs to happen. And we do different things at different times when people come in. But so I I did therapy for like 15 years before the energy work or I don't even know how long. And honestly, it's, I mean, I had great responses in therapy, but doing this work is like game changing. Because transformative, right? It's like, changing the body as well as the mind. So cool. And getting everything aligned and clear. So do you and have like lifers or do you have people that come like for like months at a time? Like what does that look like too? That's a really good question. I have some lifers for sure. I don't cap it. I love to work with people who've got that worried well. Like I'm just all right, Michelle, I'm back in and I'm going through it and we have to go through it again, right? Or people come in for their tune-ups. So some lifers are usually like, I'm coming in once a month. I'm coming every three weeks. And then I have people that I see every two weeks. I have some people I see every week. You know, it kind of right now, unfortunately, because this is kind of a where I find myself, especially post-pandemic, is that I'm quite full. Like, so people are like, Michelle, I can't get in for six weeks. And everybody's coming back that had not been in in a while. Really? Now the pandemic has got when the pandemic got us out. So that's why I'm trying to like kind of formulate some online stuff to be able to support people who are waiting or people who are out there that just want to kind of do some of this work. And you can do, and I do a lot of long distance healing as well. So people, a lot of, some of it's virtual, you know, a lot of people like to be, I think people like, and this is going to sound weird, but I think a lot of us, we wouldn't acknowledge this or think it, but I think a lot of us want, prefer that healing touch. They like to know, feel that person there taking care of them. And they like to do the therapy in person and feel held. And you can do that online. It is just a little different. And so 
I have a lot of friends in the therapy world that has still full on virtual, but the minute that I opened up from being virtual, my office within a week was full for like three months. <laughs> it was like, everybody wants to come in. So there's, there's that like accountability, that support, like, yes, right? yeah. like that nurturing factor. Yeah. I feel like that's super important. Yeah. Yeah. So can you talk more about your online stuff that you're doing, especially with like your new empath course and all that stuff? Yeah. So for the starter is just like kind of a small course I put it together and it's basically helping people just kind of, you can already know you're an empath and take this course, or you can be somebody that's like, I think that I might be like that. I'm kind of spongy. I'm really sensitive. I think I'm kind of intuitive. Like, I think that could be me, Um, but you could be anywhere in that spectrum and just it's a, it's going to be an inexpensive course. And I'm basically just trying to hold space to help people understand what kind of empath you might be. And the premise of it is, is that a lot of us, I don't know, I think especially empaths, we just, we are so earnest, right. in wanting to, to be good. And so some of us are trying to be something we're not. Mm-hmm. And part of the healing process, a lot of times, isn't just becoming who we are. It's unbecoming who we've, thought we were supposed to be all the shoulds and have tos, you know, we should ourselves to death. So like part of it in this, you know, small class is a three-part class, but basically it's helping people to understand, okay, that's me. That's not me. I'm not, I'm actually not that person. I think forever I've been putting that out there that I'm that person, but I'm not. And understanding who I am as an empath, right? And then the other part of the course is simply an exercise I actually, this is an exercise I got in a session with a client and it was a download just from my intuitive guides. And I got this whole thing that they needed to do in order to kind of get their life and purpose in line because they, they're kind of getting astray. And I took that activity and I started doing it with other clients. And it seems a little daunting because in this course, you will be asked to sit down and write out your traumas really quickly. No totally detached, but give it a name, get your traumas out, all of them, and just see what flows through you. And some people are a little hesitant to do that. And I do respect that. So I do tell people that if you have significant trauma history and it is going to blow stuff up for you to start thinking about it, this might not be the course for you. And if you want to do this course anyways, do it, bring it into therapy and it'd be awesome source to talk about therapy. But going through it. Most of us can do this. Okay. And then, I mean, even myself did it. And I was like, oh, wow. Like there's a whole underlying purpose here that I wasn't paying attention to for myself that I didn't even realize. And so a lot of us are kind of programmed, like I have clients that will come in and they'll be like, I'm so annoyed. I'm like, what's that? And they're like, well, I took this life purpose course. I'm like five weeks in Michelle. I don't know what my F and life purpose is still like, and I'm like, well, what is it trying to teach you? I'm like, it was trying to teach me my career change. And I'm like, I don't know what to be. And I'm like, well, okay. So that's the problem right there is that your life purpose is not your career. Your career is the vehicle for your life purpose. But I think I might've said this too. I don't know if I'm repeating myself, but I could be working at stop and shop. And you will be hearing me at some point at Stop and Shop bagging, talking about why you matter. It's really important that you matter. How are you taking care of yourself? I would be doing the same work because I'm drawn to it. It's drawn to me. It's what I'm here to do. It doesn't matter where I'm doing it. I am, and this is true. I will be at a line. This is a joke with some people that know me. I'll be at a line at Starbucks 
And by the time I get up there, I'm talking to the person about their divorce that's next to me. We're talking about like, right? Like, what are you doing for yourself? Right? That is my question. And so you and everybody else have been through a lot in this life. And if you can hook into what was the pain about, what did you really learn? And so that's what the course kind of sets us through is like this activity, these work, I have a workbook with it, we go through it and you just kind of dive into what have I learned that I'm supposed to be teaching, right? I love I, that. Right. So it's a cool, I mean, it's not going to be the end all answer. There's a whole right, life. But it's, a work starter. it's a starter. Exactly. Right? It's a starter. Kind of, kind of gets you in flow of thinking that way and understanding yourself in a different way and your history and your past and everything you've been through. I love it. Yeah. No, this is like really, really cool stuff. I think it's especially for people that are open, like starting to be more open to that world. Like it's a great stepping stone. Which step is what's that. happening right now. Right. As a planet, it's just what's happening. It's why I'm inundating. All the healers are starting to get inundated because we're all opening up to this stuff. It's so true. And I think more people realize that they need it. Yeah, totally. Like cute. Okay. So it's called Paths to Purpose. The Empaths. The Empaths Paths to Purpose. It's okay. on my website. You can go to michellepoverman.com and I will have it there. I'm going to have an early sign up list and I'm going to be releasing it in the next couple of weeks, but you can sign up early and I will give your listeners 40% off if they're interested in it. So exciting. Thank you for offering that. That's super generous. Yeah. So before we go on to fun facts about Michelle, I would like for you to share how they can follow you on socials and also get in touch and all the things. <laughs> all the things. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, at Michelle Poverman on Instagram and I'm on Facebook as well. And again, I'm Sage and Stone Energy Therapy. That's my website. But my website's also michellepoverman.com. A little confusing, but I had to like merge the two, right? I think it's important. Branding. Yeah. All about yeah. branding. Very smart. <laughs> <laughs> Very smart. Somewhere. I support yeah. it. I support it. I think that's awesome. Nice. Okay. So let's talk about fun facts about Michelle and then we'll play some game time. So you grew up in a haunted house. Let's talk about this for a moment. Oh, I about that. Yes, I did actually. I grew up in Framingham, Massachusetts. And we, me and my brother grew up in a house, just a brother and I, and our whole half of the house was constantly throughout the night over and over and over and over again in our growing up. We had a ghost in the house. And yeah. And one night, one night, this is the creepy story, but this is kind of an incredible story. I was in bed and the door started to open very slowly. No joke. I thought someone was coming in. I'm looking and I'm in the dark. And I had all these papers in the ground because I had been doing work and I could hear them crunching and crunching like someone was stepping on. We could hear paper being stepped on. And I felt, I'm like, who is, I just, I was such in a state of panic. I froze. And all of a sudden I felt the bed right next to me sink. I felt something touching my leg. Oh my God. And I went into full-blown panic attack. I don't even know if it's the right word. I felt like I wasn't breathing. I felt the whole bed was shaking. And then I got up and walked out. And I waited in my room. It took me about 40 minutes before I could probably turn the light on because I was so scared. Because I was in a fight or flight, right? I was just freeze. And then finally, I turn the light on and I go in my brother's room. And he's sitting there in his room, sitting up just staring at the wall. And I was like, I, I have to tell you what just happened to me. And he looked at me and he's like, did something just come in your room and sit in your bed? <laughs> I was like, yes. But for him, crazy enough, it hovered over him and he thought he died. He felt his body float over his self. And, and my brother from that moment on became extremely psychic, like bizarro psychic, right? 
And so the two of us come back on this story because it kind of was pivotal for us to really like acknowledging and, you know, the spirit world and understanding we, for whatever reason, are able to feel this and have this come in. And, you know, for him, it, he was a police officer in Framingham for years. I mean, he's like, you know, <laughs> right? Like, so he was a Marine. So for him to be psychic was interesting. But um, so cool. yeah. Wait, so how old were you guys at that point? So that was high school. That was wow. high school. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a lot of stuff growing up, but that was kind of the juicy story. I mean, just- that's a juicy story. That's so <laughs> interesting. I love that both of you now though have hit your intuitive, like took on intuitive roles, which right? is so interesting. Totally, yeah. Crazy. Oh my God. So cool. All right. So you also got stuck on the side of a mountain. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was a cool story because. So I was working at Drug and Alcohol Treatment Center in Colorado, and I had this opportunity with adolescents. I had this opportunity to take kids out into, you know, the wilderness. And these are inner city kids on probation. So I'm like, sweet, I'm going to go there. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like the Dalai Lama. I'm going to get there. I'm going to be the process girl because I love the outdoors, but I wasn't going to run it. I don't do a ton of rock climbing. I'd only maybe done it once, like a little propelling. Wasn't worried about myself at all. So we took the girls out. They all came out and they were all girls. And there was this one girl and she had these nails, like these long nails and these beautiful braids. And she's sitting there and, and I'm like, these girls are going to, I mean, this is going to be a long day. It's my thought, right? Like this is going to be interesting. So we get going up the mountain. I let them all go first. I'm going to go last, right? And I kid you not, these girls, they flew up the side of that mountain like it was nothing. I was like, wow, I guess this is going to be easy, right? Like they just flew to the top. And so I'm like, all right, it's my turn. I'm going to rock climb up this mountain, right? It's not even a mountain, but it was very steep, right? It was like a mountain, it was like a face. Uh-huh. And so I go up and I'm like digging into this crevice to get to the top. And I'm putting my toes in and my fingers, above, you know, and I'm trying to crawl and I get stuck. My shoe is stuck. And in order for me to get unstuck, I have to jump to a ledge off to the side. And I am like so far up. I panic. I'm sweating. And these girls, these girls are up there like, you got this girl. They're cheering me. You go, girl. You got it. You got it. Keep going. And I'm looking up. I can't. And I'm frozen. I can fear, just fear. And I didn't climb up. I didn't make it. I ended up rappelling down. So I'm running the process group after and we all come back. We're doing the process group. And I was like, yeah, miss, I think I'm going to like, you know, be above it all before I got and did this, you know, climb the mountain. And then, you know, we get in the group and that girl with the braids looked at me and she said to me, I said to her, I said, wow, like nails and all, like I'm in awe of you. Right. And she was like, girl, I am all gas, no brakes. And I was like, yeah, you are. And she was like, in life, I'm all gas, no brakes. She's like, you, how are you going to get anywhere living with your feet on the brakes? You're not going to get anywhere in life. And I was like, you want to run this process group? (laughs) (laughs) What an interesting analogy though. Wasn't it awesome? Yeah. And so now I use it. Like I I love it. it. It's a great story because you know, yeah. Like are you living with your foot in the brake all the time? Right. I do. That's my go-to. Right. You get all revved up in business and go, 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 go. And then be like, oh, no, 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 no. Too much, too much. 
I got to slow it down. It's too big. It's too much, right? There's so many ways in which we put our foot in the brake too much, right? So true, true. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that analogy. I like, I'm going to think about that after this. That was so good. <laughs> and then obviously your, your last fun fact was about how in eighth grade, you got the superlative, which we talked about earlier, which I thought was hilarious. So what were you doing in high school that made everybody think that you were meant for this career? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'd have to ask some of those people, but I definitely think that I always, I was always, it's going to sound so silly, but I was always interested in the underdog, right? I was always interested and I was always trying to do makeovers for my friends. (laughs) Like I was always trying to like, oh, I'll give you a permanent, I'm going to do these things for you. I'm going to help you in some way. Now I realize looking back on that, like what that was about was just like, I want to be friends with you and I I want to be more comfortable if if you fit in with my friends. (laughs) I think that a lot of people felt that I really just I think that from a young age, I was, I was curious and interested. I think so many of us, and I could do this too. I definitely had to retrain myself as a therapist, help me. But so many of us don't really know how to listen. Mm-hmm. So many of us, and I, I think if, if you can hear any message in this at all, that's really important to take home, is if you would like to be closer to people, if you would like people to feel good after talking to, learn to just be interested and curious. Stop relating. Because so many people relate, right? So many people ping pong. You tell me you hurt yourself. I'm thinking about how I did and how I relate. And we think that we're connecting, but we're just making, I'm just making it about me when I do that, right? And I just think from a young age, I kind of knew, I knew how to do that. I knew how to like kind of hold space. And I think that is now a lot what, when I'm doing any relationship work or when I'm helping people that are, you know, trying to shift how they show up for people, it's, and that's kind of big, you know, it's like, it's actually part of intimacy. It's actually start feeling like a lot of sense. Yeah. So So that was the, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think, I don't know, from a young age, I think I was just, listen, I was being me and you were being you, right. And we were all being our little selves, right. And probably a little freer, you know, and That's that's why, you know, if I'm, if I'm working at the mall at the gap, I'm still doing me and I'm still like, how are you taking care of yourself? Right. I'm still talking about that. Totally. I think think also one thing too, that I noticed from you talking is like, you were holding space for all anyone, like a lot of different people. It wasn't just like one particular person, which I think is totally what therapy does. Right. Like, and, but isn't that what empaths do too? Right. Totally. Like you feel that underdog, right? Like you feel that person that's either being rejected, isn't quite fitting in you know, you, you can feel when someone's a good person and they don't mix well, or they're struggling or, and as an empath, that's hard to hold. And so when you're little, it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to help you. You don't have as much constraints about all the things we do as adults now is how that's so going to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Really good points. This is so inspiring. Okay. I want to play game time. Quick three, four questions. There's no okay. match with like how fast you have to answer. So what is Michelle's favorite food? I struggle with food. I'm gluten-free and dairy-free. My original first answer would have been absolutely ice cream. I love, 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 love ice cream. So I have dairy-free, but I have to cut back on sugar. So I don't do it as much, but I do love a good gluten-free pizza. Ooh, so where are you getting that? Are you making it at home? Or I make it at home with dairy-free cheese, pesto sauce, but I saute the shallots and garlic and, and all the veggies so that it's like this super like you know, sultry kind of thing on top. And then I have to put a ton of pineapples. 
Oh my God. I love it. So the sweet and salty, like, yes, that's like my favorite. Oh my God. That sounds delicious. You're like, (laughs) that sounds awesome. (laughs) So good. Okay. Um, if you could wear one outfit for the rest of your life from head to toe, what would it be and why? I do wear one outfit from head to toe every day, except when I'm at work. And it's these athletic pants that I have that are just these black, super awesome, stretchy pants and a comfy t-shirt, like honestly. And like sneakers or like heels. Flip-flops. Flip-flops. Love that. Yes. Great choice. Sandals. I mean, yeah. right. Point of preference. That would be my gym. That's a great choice. <laughs> What's your favorite place you've ever traveled to and a bucket place you've never been you want to go? I just got back from Bryce Canyon in Utah. Yeah. And I love the canyons. I loved Sedona, Arizona. Like I love, I can't live there. I'm not meant to live there. It's too dry and it's too deserty. But when I'm there, I definitely am like, oh, the sad. Like zen energy. Yeah. The energy is completely different. But I will say I absolutely do also love the ocean and lush. And so I can't live there, but I do absolutely love. Now, bucket list would be, I've never been to Costa Rica and I've always wanted to go. Definitely recommend it. It's awesome. Have you been? Yes. Went for the first time this year. It's awesome. Definitely. Oh, really? Did you I feel like you have to go back because it's so big. There's so many different places you got to see. Right. Like, I feel like I need to go back and see places I didn't even see. So a friend of mine, when she was like, I went and there was this like tarantula in my bedroom and I could like never go back. And I was like, what? Don't say where she stayed, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Okay. Yes. I definitely recommend. Great choice. Um, And then final question. If you could spend a day with somebody you've never met dead or alive, who would you choose and why? You can pick more than one. It's fine. Okay. Well, the very first, I know this sounds, this is my old deadhead, right? Like Jerry Garcia. I would just like to like (laughs) hang out with him and be like, okay, how is it? How is it so easy to be so laid back? How is it so easy to lead that life? Right. Like, (laughs) cause I tried that life. I tried it on. I loved it. I love, I, you know, I love the day. I grew up kind of listening to the dead. I'd love to like sit back with Jerry and just kind of hear his wisdom. Cause you know, he just had some, I know he did down there. For sure. But, right. And then um, let's see, if I had to pick somebody else, I think it would be a woman. You know, I could even make it easy. I would just like to just, how about listening to Maya Angelou in person and just talking to her about how and she, she's so zen energy, I feel like. I right? know, right? Like, I think like my inner like child anxiety wants to sit with these like really soothing people. <laughs> like make me feel better. Just like. <laughs> she's just like, Oh, she's just like butter. You know what I mean? Like she just, her, her words, her, her wisdom. Her poems were so beautiful too. So like beautiful. She's Pat. Yeah. And she's no longer with us. So it just feels like that would be, I could. I love it. Yeah. Love it. Great choices. Michelle, this has been so fun. Can you yeah. share? Um, is everybody again, how they can follow you on socials and get in touch? Yes, absolutely. So I am at Michelle Poverman. And that's at Instagram and healing mind, body, spirit is, it's not Sage and Stone. So it's at healing mind, body, spirit for Facebook. And then I'm also on LinkedIn, but I can't even tell you. I think it's I'm Michelle Marberman. I'm not even sure. Not LinkedIn, Michelle. It's important. I know. I haven't really, really, really got up there yet. It's okay. It's okay. I'm just giving some marketing insight. <laughs> So thank you again for joining. This has been so fun. Thank you everyone so much for tuning in to Becoming Next on Scene and stay tuned for who's next on Scene.
the ups, the downs, and all the in-between. What it takes to become next on scene. Are you next? Follow us at Next On Scene. 